In times like these, we need a Savior. In times like these, we need a Bible. In times like these, we need an anchor. The anchor holds in times like these and holds to the rock, and that rock is Jesus. The world around us has been in turmoil and chaos, but it's nothing new. It's been in chaos and turmoil ever since the fall of humanity. But the good news is, Jesus is coming again. In times like these, it moves one to perpetually long for his return. I can't tell you the number of conversations I've had with people over this past year or so that says, I wish the Lord would return. But as we wait for his return, we also have to remember we have work to do. He has called us to work until he comes. He calls us to serve him until he comes. He calls us to bear fruit for the kingdom of God until he turns. And while we yearn and how we desire for the return of our Lord, we have service to King Jesus that cannot be nullified and it cannot be refused. So in times like these, I would add to that particular song, in times like these, we must bear fruit for the kingdom of Jesus. If you will, I will ask you, let's stand together for the reading of the word of the Lord. Our Bibles turn to Mark chapter 11. A sermon entitled, Bearing Fruit for the Kingdom. Bearing Fruit for the Kingdom. Beginning at verse 12, the word of the Lord says... And on the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. They came to Jerusalem. He entered the temple and he began to drive out those who sold and those who bawled in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and he said to them, Is it not written that my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it to a den of robbers. The chief priests and the scribes heard it, and they were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowds were astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city, and they passed by the morning. They saw the fig tree withered away by its roots, and Peter said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and be thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And 
Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Lord, we ask you to bless the reading of this word to our heart and mind. Illumine our heart to its meaning. Illumine our heart and mind to its application. Help, help us to live out your word in Jesus' name. We pray it. Amen. You may be seated. So we have quite a few scriptures to cover this morning, but I did want to remind us that last week as we peered into the Word of God, we saw Jesus and His triumphant entry into Jerusalem. We noticed that the people cried out, a very familiar narrative. They cried out, Hosanna, as to say, save now, or an urgency to save us now. Many people had followed the Lord Jesus from Bethany to Jerusalem and had seen and had heard many things, many workings of this great man from Galilee. And so after Jesus trotted into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey and after the hosannas are proclaimed, the Bible states in verse 11 that the Lord Jesus looked around and went back out of the city towards Bethany with 12 in tow. No doubt. So today I want to present a message of bearing fruit for the kingdom of Jesus. The Bible says of faith, a very familiar verse. In fact, it would be the pinnacle definition or biblical definition of faith found in Hebrews 11 verse 1. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. And that being said, let me ask you this. On the onset, can the power and the scope of your faith be seen by others? Do people know that you are a person of faith? Better yet, is your faith bearing fruit? I will further that question. Will Jesus find fruit in your life? Will Jesus find fruit? Now the Lord Jesus and his disciples were on their way from Bethany and again making their way back towards Jerusalem. The Bible tells us in verse 12, on the following day when they came from Bethany, the Lord Jesus was hungry. And seeing this fig tree in the distance, having leaves upon it, he went to see if he could find any fruit on it. He came to it, and nothing was on it but leaves. And Mark tells us it was not the season for figs. And he went to it, and he said, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the Bible tells us, according to Mark, that the disciples heard it. The disciples heard it. So it automatically tells us that Jesus is using the fig tree as an illustration. It's amazing how the most overlooked things in life become teachable moments in the hands of the Lord Jesus. I remember having lunch with a dear brother in the Lord. And I remember him telling me about the meals that he would have throughout the day and, or lunch. And he would say, I do not ever waste a meal. Meaning he would have meals with friends, meals with people that he was discipling, meals with pastors, purposeful meals with people who, who you would be discipling or building relationships with. It is apparent that this time of the year, 
The Lord Jesus is walking with his disciples and being that a fig tree is in full leaf, somewhere between March to May, maybe even in June, the fig tree always in Scripture becomes an illustration of Israel. Biblically, a fig tree or a fig leaf, if you will, would often bear a representation of Israel. And Jesus was hungry. He had nothing to eat. Even on the night before this anticipation and great stress of the triumphant entry, our Lord Jesus was hungry. It was not the season of figs, it Mark tells us this, but this mature tree that Jesus saw in a sheltered spot had produced leaves, giving a sign of fruit. So what do we learn just on the onset of this teachable moment represented by this fig tree, that it had purpose without accomplishment. It had purpose and the appearance of being fruitful, but not the accomplishment of it. Israel had such potential, but was barren of fruit. Enter verse 14 for examination. If I was to put myself in the shoes of the disciples, I would be frightened to hear that Israel was no longer going to be the arbiter or the purpose for the kingdom of Christ or the kingdom of God anymore. Could it be that the Lord is moving on from Israel to be a light to the nations? Could it be that God was moving on from using Israel in this fashion? Not that Jesus was done with Israel, mind you. But the church folk, the religious leaders, the legalists, and those that governed the temple would no longer bear fruit of deliverance for Israel or humanity. The scribes, the Pharisees, those folks who were supposed to be, those people who knew the word, were not going to bear fruit for Israel. So hear the words of Jesus in verse 14. No one will ever eat fruit from you again, and his disciples heard it. Now, I want you to remember that Jesus came through Jerusalem earlier and he looked around, right? So he looked into the city. He looked around. The Bible says he looked around at everything. Maybe during this time, Jesus was searching for fruit. They couldn't find it. I mean, by the way, this is no coincidence that Mark is writing in this account of using this fig tree or the lack of, of fruit thereon to represent Israel. He is using this fig tree as an object lesson. See, the religious are not, they are not teaching the law properly. They are not leading the people properly. And people, just quite frankly, they are not drawing close to God. They're not drawing close to Yahweh. They are not drawing close to Adonai, their Lord. In fact, one can make the case that the people would drift further from the Lord under the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the people who were the legalists of the day. Jesus finds nothing but leaves, no fruit. In fact, Scripture would go on to describe these people as unfruitful, Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And 2 Timothy 3, 5 says, Having the form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Charles Spur Spurgeon wrote of Jesus 
as judge, he says, as if to show that Jesus the Savior is also Jesus the judge, one gleam of justice must dart forth. Where shall mercy direct its fall? The curse, if we may call it a curse at all, did not fall on man or beast or even the smallest of insect. Its bolt falls harmlessly upon a fig tree by the wayside. It bore upon itself the signs of barrenness and perhaps no one's property. Little thereof was the loss which by any man sustained by the withering of that averted mockery. While instruction more precious than a thousand acres of fig tree has been left for the benefit of the ages. There one lonesome fig tree did not belong to anyone, yet it is cursed. Yet it is an object lesson for the ages. I wonder, as King Jesus looked around in Jerusalem and noticed there was no fruit therein, could the same be said of you? Could the same be said of us as a body of believers? Think about it. If the Lord Jesus was to peek his head into Piney Grove Baptist Church this morning and looked around at everything, would he say there is fruit in there? Or do we resemble the fruitless fig tree? The same could be said of your home. If the Lord Jesus was to peek into your home, would he find fruit? If he was to peek into your workplace, would he, would he find you bearing fruit for the kingdom? If he was to peer into your workplace or into your school, would he find you bearing fruit for the kingdom, fruit of regeneration. If Jesus was sitting in the back seat of your car and someone cut you off, would he find you bearing fruit? Would he find you bearing fruit of regeneration when presented with the opportunity to retaliate? It's easy to retaliate, by the way. And also, if you are in Christ, He is with you in all those places. In your home, at your job, in your class, in your school, and certainly with us this morning. I had a preacher back home one time. He said, you know how I know Jesus is with us today? Because I brought Him here with me. But are we bearing fruit would he find us bearing fruit for the kingdom? See, this is a challenging and ever-reoccurring theme that must be evaluated personally. I've got to evaluate this personally for me and corporately as a body. Again, will Jesus find you fruitful? Secondly, the unfruitful are exposed. The unfruitful are exposed. Given enough time, given enough time, I have seen this historically. I have seen this truth come to bear so many times I could hardly count. Given enough time, the Lord always reveals those who are planted in His church who have nefarious or harmful intentions. 
in Kenneth Hawke's work entitled Antagonist in the Church, How to Identify and Deal with Destructive Conflict. Hawke says this of antagonists. He said, antagonists are individuals who, on the basis of non-substantive evidence, go out of their way to make insatiable demands, usually attacking the person or performance of others. These attacks are selfish in nature. They tear down rather than build up and frequently directed against those in leadership capacity. He would go on to say that this first level of antagonist is considered hardcore and then would categorize them, get this, as psychotic. Now, there are many dimensions to what I've just said and what I just quoted. But the point I want to raise in this towards being fruitful or unfruitful, that's the point I want to raise. Tearing down or building up. Now, you might say to yourself, preacher, that's not me. That is absolutely not me. I'm not an antagonist one way, shape, or form. That's like saying, no, I'm not a hypocrite one way, shape, or form. I think for every child of God who has ever walked with Christ, close or not, close and clean or not, you have either at some point in your life at least became a lightly seasoned hypocrite. So I want, to, I want to dig a little bit deeper in this. So I've got to ask myself, as I'm examining this, I think of Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15. We know these words, we should. This is the first action. This is, this is the first tier action here. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, what does it say? Go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Now, if we are not engaged at least on this first level of going to those who have sinned or who have offended us, we are at best a light antagonist and at the worst hardcore antagonist. Now, that shook me to my core. That shook me to think that somehow I am not progressing the kingdom of God because I am being disobedient and faint-hearted. That is a fearful thought. And by the way, I use the word fear or faint-hearted because I did not want to use the word coward. Especially knowing the pruning that takes place on the unfruitful. The pruning process that we find in Scripture that God uses is scary. Those that govern the temple, the religious order of the day, the Pharisees, the scribes, the legalists, they were hardcore antagonists in their opposition against Jesus. Let's investigate the temple setting. Verse 15, they came to Jerusalem and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. This, my friend, is an example of fruitlessness. This is what Jesus was talking about by the fig tree. He came in he, to the temple and he found it in a mess. I wonder how many churches the Lord would find in a mess if he was to peek his head 
across the churches across the globe. Because what transpires next is just as scary. The Bible says that he began to cleanse it from those who are toxic. Jesus sees most of this happening in what is considered to be the outer court of the Gentiles. This is the only part of the temple where the Gentiles would go. There was an exchanging of currency and the selling of sacrifices that were happening in this outer court portion. Just five days before the temple tax, tables had been set up to exchange the currency for the shekels that would be required for that tax. Jesus takes notice of this behavior, which is contrary to worship. All that is happening in the temple is anti-worship. It is contrary to worship. And then he turns over the tables in a righteous way. And by the way, I would not suggest doing this. <laughs> you go to a church, you visit a church, they say something you don't like. Or maybe even this church. I wouldn't suggest turning over your Sunday school desk or... Something of that sort. You see something going that you don't like. I would not suggest doing this. If you ever visit a church or ever think things are out of order here, do not turn over the tables, please. And you might say, well, Jesus did it. Why can't I? Easy way to answer that question with this theological precept. It's so deep. You're not Jesus. You're not Jesus. And our examining of other people's motives sometimes are wrong. It appears that they are taking advantage of the faithful poor of society. For there were those that sold the doves. I want us to get the tone of this though. Verse 16. Jesus would not allow anyone to carry anything in the temple. Imagine Jesus stopping traffic and the motion of traffic and saying, Get that out of here. Don't come through here. I try to liken it to, the best way I can understand this would be like if we were worshiping right now and there was a fellowship meal going on in the back, the clattering of dishes and spoons and forks and all that, going on at the same time that we were trying to worship calamity in the house of God. He was teaching them. He said, it's written, isn't it written that my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? Referencing Isaiah 56 and verse 7. But you have made it into a den of robbers or a den of thieves. Isn't that what the Lord's house supposed to be? Isn't that what God's house supposed to be anyway? A house of prayer? A house of worship? Or aren't these the basis for rightful worship, for prayer, for praises, and for the word of God? Isn't that what we come to church for? Isn't that what we, why we come here? Is, aren't these the really the basics for rightful worship? God's house is not about being accommodated with our every desire, unless our every desire is to worship God. In fact, I think, I believe firmly that we need to squirm a little bit from conviction. And feeding our ego on every turn will not produce fruit and it will not produce rightful worship. Another way to say that would be in the colloquial language, well, maybe our feet, our toes need to be stepped on on occasion. The Jews saw the temple as a place of security, even 
In their actions, they were not honorable, they were not worshipful. And I can see this trap today in the church. People would come and visit with the idea that simple attendance grants penance or acceptance with God, but without genuine repentance and seeking the Lord's guidance, we are not gaining any ground in faith. Simple attendance at a church. We're glad when people join because they get to sing. They get to hear the word. A simple attendance at a church has become a security blanket for so many. But listen, I want you to listen to this, and I say this with the deepest sincerity. God desires your sincere worship and adoration. In fact, he longs for you to worship him wholeheartedly. There is something of interest. When Rome destroyed the temple in 70 AD, the historian Josephus used the term robbers or bandits to describe the oppressors. <laughs> and why do I say that? Because these non-worshippers were acting like barbarians and outlaws. I have seen people who are supposed to be Christ followers act like barbarians without godly direction. I remember attending a business meeting one time and it got so out of hand that finally a saint of the Lord said, can't you see that the enemy is trying to divide us? I think we need to dismiss and come back later. May not, not, not be said of us. Please let that not be said of us. Verse 18, the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. What really revealed this unfruitful activity in the temple was what was said by the chief priest as they sought to kill Jesus. For he disrupted, really, at the, when you get right down to nuts and bolts, when you get right down to it, when you get right down to the bottom line, Jesus disrupted their money-making scheme. He reveals the scheme and the sins of those in the temple. This den of thieves has turned the house of the Lord into a den of thieves who would steal from the poor and keep for themselves. But the lesson here is so, so much more deeper than that. It demonstrates how the Lord will reveal those who are running against his will and against his purpose and he will ultimately remove them that is a scary thought. And now I know the gospel of Jesus is so much more powerful than a den of thieves. And I, and I know that the Lord can, can get a hold of an antagonist and can transform them by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I know that and, and I pray for that. But this is a very convicting portion of scripture for I must ask myself, am I enabling an attitude of anti-worship. Am I fostering an atmosphere that would be contrary to worship? Am I taking away from someone coming to know Christ a little more? Am I hindering them? A am I saying something or doing something that would make people discredit the gospel message? A again, am I unfruitful or am I fruitful? Or am I a thief who attempts to steal the glory from God? And by the way, no man will ever steal God's glory. 
Then we find the lesson taught by the tree. In conclusion, this is the lesson that we learn. What is this grand lesson? They passed by the tree. They saw the figs. The fig tree had been withered away by even down to the root. And then Peter, boisterous Peter, says, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you curse, it has withered. And Jesus said to them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up, thrown to the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that will come to pass. It will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, in conclusion, I tell you, Whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand, whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. So this whole lesson has been about bearing fruit. The lesson or the question after what has transpired is, what is the fruit that should be evident? Okay, it's not found in the temple. It's not found in the Pharisees, the scribes, the money changers. The fruit ain't in there. Where's the fruit? Remember that old Wendy's commercial, where's the beef? Where's the fruit? So here's the fruit right here in the text. What is the fruit? Have faith in God, number one. Number two, pray with right motives and without doubting. When you pray, pray with genuine, worshipful, right motives. I often have a little bit of a, a kind of scenario when I pray to try to pray for others first. Right? Pray with right motives and without doubting. And then number three, forgive one another. Forgive one another. And that is huge for many people today. Forgiving one another gives evidence that you have also been forgiven. So when you stand before the Lord and you have not forgiven, there is evidence there that you don't know the Lord. The evidence that one bears that they have been forgiven or regenerated is that they forgive one another. The lesson of the fig tree was to show who or what is unfruitful and then... And then to lean upon the Lord alone and have faith in Him. So yes, yes, in times like these we bear fruit for, of regeneration. And we must bear fruit that demonstrates that we are in Christ. Fruit that resembles what we are told in Galatians 5 and 22. That is spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness gentleness, self-control. And then the author says, against such things there is no law. Let me say that again. The fruit that we see is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And by the way, those fruit of the Spirit is what we see in the precious Lord Jesus. And so if we are to bear fruit, if we are to resemble this, we must be like Christ. Again, I'll ask you this question in closing. Will Jesus find you fruitful? Will he find us fruitful? Let's pray, shall we?